0: You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to see everyone. Pleasure to sit. See folks come in. and do our thing, and to do our practice, to do this kind of crazy thing that we do. So, uh, wanted to read from uh, Case 3 of the mumanta, which is the Gateless Gate. My voice is a little faint today, so Brandon Karen, if you can't hear me, flag me down. This is called Gute raises a finger. Whenever Gute Osho was asked about Zen, he simply raised his finger. Once a visitor asked Gute's young attendant, "What does your master teach?" The boy, too, raised his finger. Hearing of of this, Gute cut off the boy's finger with a knife. The boy, screaming with pain, began to run away. Gute called to him. And when he turned around, Gute raised his finger. The boy suddenly became enlightened. When Gute was about to pass away, he said to his assembled monks, I obtained one finger's end from Tenryu and used it all my life, but still did not exhaust it. When he had finished saying this, he entered into eternal nirvana. Actually, I want to let that sit for a second. Because of one specific action, the rest of the words can get blocked out. so I'll read it again. Whenever Gute Osho was asked about Zen, he simply raised his finger. Once a visitor asked Gute's young attendant, what does your master teach? The boy, too, raised his finger. Hearing of this, Gute cut off the boy's finger with a knife. The boy, screaming with pain, began to run away. Gute called to him, and when he turned around, Kute raised his finger. The boy suddenly became enlightened. often when we hear stories like this uh, especially someone gets killed or a limb is lost uh, it's very easy to focus on that and kind of lose the rest of what else is being said we humans if nothing else can be a bit literal at times and that being being said If we look at things literally, we're actually not looking closely enough. So this young boy is really kind of guilty of nothing more than kind of imitating what his teacher does without understanding what the teaching is. Excuse me, which is often how we start when we come to practice. When we're new, we are so uh, (coughs) preoccupied with our newness that we don't, um, we're, we're kind of, we're busy paying attention to what else is everybody doing. bowing a certain way or chanting a certain way and often all we know is we don't want to be the one sticking out you know. so we just go along so when we, when we come to practice we bring with us all of our karmic accretions, kind of like mineral deposits in a pipe. You know, it'll constrict flow after a period of time. Especially if you have a certain type of water and a certain type of pipe. And no time at all. The flow becomes constricted. Which is what happens for us whenever we come with a karmic a bunch of karmic accretions. Our ability to move freely, our ability to respond, is constricted because we're locked into habitual ways of being. So the request is to actually to look deeply, which is what we do in practice uh, when we're sitting zazen, when we are sitting to look deep and see and find out what it is that we have to say. And and it's not even what we think we have to say or what we feel we have to say but actually how our life expresses itself, how our Dharma expresses itself. So imitating, just like the young boy does, imitating is not the thing just as uh, Finger pointing at the moon is not the moon. So we are. Uh, in, in the beginning, we often imitate until we find out. Uh, oh, it doesn't work if I sit in such and such a way, or uh, maybe blue jeans aren't the most comfortable thing to be sitting suspended. You know. There's a. I remember hearing a, an interview a number of years ago with Ray Bradbury, the uh, late science fiction writer. And not many folks know this, but when he was young, he co-wrote the screenplay for Moby Dick with John Huston, the, the director. And it was apparently quite a tortured experience for a young Bradbury. But he said, uh, after a while, he could no longer distinguish between what his words were and what John Houston's words were. But he, he couldn't pick out what he had written when he looked at the script. So in finding our Dharma, finding out what we have to say out the deep inmost request is an appropriate response I means we're actually responding to the person to the situation in front of us not with our baggage and seeing what their actual request is seeing what their Dharma voice is and responding that. So in the notes of this case it says before Gute had any real experience of him he lived alone at the foot of a mountain it was a real It was a quiet twilight, a good time for meditation. And Gute had been sitting for a long time in his hut. Outside, the dry fallen leaves were stirred by the winter wind and rustled softly on the ground. The dusk gathered. A new moon shed her dim light. A figure appeared from the dark and silently walked toward the hut. This was the nun, Jisai dressed in the clothes of a traveling priest with the broad hat, black robe, and pilgrim's staff. She entered the hut, walked around Gute's seat three times. Watch out when that happens. <laughs> Whenever you are reading one of these, watch out. <laughs> and then, standing in front of him, threw her staff down on the ground, saying, say a word, I will take off my hat. This phrase is a challenge to a Zen mandu, Dharma combat. An exchange in which each each participant demonstrates his or her understanding of Zen. In the old days, whenever traveling monks met, they fought these Dharma battles so they would not get caught off guard. Gute, on this occasion, was at a complete loss for words. So he's brand new to practice. Chisa once more walked around Gutai's seat, seat three times and again asked her a question. Three times she did this and finding that Gute could still return no answer, she began to leave. Gute said, it is already dark. Please stay here the night. Chisai replied, say a word and I will stay. Gutai could say nothing. And Jesus had walked out into the night. So that night he was, when he, when he goes to bed, he's tossing the turning, and he's being pretty hard on himself. Like, geez, what am I supposed to say? So this section of the story is actually for me the, kind of the most interesting aspect of this case. These notes. And we're right off the bat, we have a little bit of symbolism going on because it's a new moon. Right? So in Zen, the moon is the symbol of enlightenment, awakening, illumination. So it's a new moon, which is dark. So there's no illumination. So the story's basically telling us that Gute not ready yet. He's not ready. So she says, "Say a word and I'll take a, I'll take off my hat." Okay. So what she's really saying is, "Hey, can I can I stay here tonight?" You yeah. know. But it's right over his head. This misses, misses it say one word and I'll say that so this sounds familiar right Nine one kills the cat right? say one word and I'll spare the cat say one word and I'll take off my hat can I stay here tonight? one word yes yes the thing is because the question is presented in the way that it is Gute doesn't hear the underlying request he doesn't hear the actual question that's being said uh, and more specifically he hasn't learned how to listen yet so in And everything's done three times. They go through this ritual three times. Uh, So this, this is an invitation every time. So finally, she says, "Say a word and I'll stay." She simplifies it for him. She simplifies it for him. But he's still caught up in what was said before that he still can't respond. Poor guy's head's probably this it's probably some young kid, you know. Head's just swimming. Along. What am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? Say one more. Stay. Stay. Yeah. She's asking, "What is your voice? What is? What is your name?" is what this question this challenge brings up what do you have to say often in the zen stories um, uh, actually i think usually in at least the ones i've uh, read the the women always get the best of the guys you know because the guys are too busy thinking they're not like in the world So the story continues. So he's tossing and turning and he says, I, I, need to find, I need to find somebody who knows what to say. So there's a crucial moment in one's life when determination decides one's destiny. She says, identity is not known. Perhaps she was a messenger sent from uh, the Bodhisattva Kano to awaken Gute to a new determination. However, as Gute dozed, the guardian deity approached him in a dream and said to him, do not leave this mountain. A living Bodhisattva is coming to visit you. He will give you instruction. Well, one tried and it didn't, didn't work yet. Right? <laughs> But it was a new moon. It was dark. The Conditions weren't right. Sure enough, within a few days, Tenryu Osho came to visit his hermitage. Gute told Tenryu the whole story and asked him, what is the essence of the Buddha's teachings? No sooner had Gute said this than Tenryu raised one finger. Gute suddenly gained enlightenment. This is how Gutai inherited Tenryu's one-finger Zen. So it's a few days later. The new moon has passed. We are, we are in a waxing crescent. So there's more illumination. More illumination, so the time is a little bit more ripe for Gutai. One of the things with these instances is no one responds in the way that you expect. Right. And there's actually another coincidence of what is the essence of the Buddhist teachings and that is you remember, an appropriate response from one of the other cases. So, Gute asks Henry, what is the essence of the Buddhist teachings? He raises a finger. we have to say something we have to say something when when we hear the request when we hear it deeply And, and sometimes saying something is not saying something sometimes saying something is to remain silent because that can be the appropriate response that's raising that can be raising your finger too when we sit saza, is our voice is uncovered. Once the accretions begin to soften and wash away, we find out what we have to say. Or we find out what is said. That's why when we're or even in the forms, we have so many forms in Zen. The forms can be really helpful because it places us into a beginner's place, a beginner's mind of not knowing. But also, what it does is it helps us become aware of these karmic accretions. Just like uh, Gute beating himself up because he didn't know how to respond, we might beat ourselves up because we can't do a full bow. or because we make a mistake. It brings, right. us, brings it to our consciousness. So, what ends up happening is through our practice of Zazen, we find our unborn voice, our original face unborn voice is something that we can rely on as long as we're willing to let it go at the same time, as long as we are not uh, attached to it and create a new identity around it. is to live our life as if we'd chosen it. To live this life as though we've chosen it. I don't think there is any of us here that has to be born. Right? We were just brought into the world. And this is our this is the reality of our situation is that we are here. We are here now. We have the life that we have now. And for some folks it can be Difficult. A lot of suffering. If we get uh, if we were being caught in place of well I didn't ask to be born. I didn't ask to, to be here during this time. Well we are. This is where we are. This is where we are. So why not choose this life? Live it as though we want to it. This is why, uh, as I was saying earlier, it's important to appreciate our pain and suffering, just as we appreciate everything else. Because even that won't be around forever. And when we do this, we hear the uh, Buddha's line more when he awoke. The Buddha's line which is never what we think it is one of my mentors at San Francisco's center likes to say what is your inmost request it's like his, his mantra what is your see who are you when suzuki roshi was dying when he was first diagnosed the students were gathered around his bed
1: He had only been with them for 10
0: or for 12 years, which is easily, easy to forget. So they were quite upset. And he said, don't cry for me. He says, I know who I am. Which is kind of like a koan at San Francisco Center. Before nobody, then knowing who we are. You know, I've always heard this is, I'm not afraid Don't cry for me, I'm not afraid. This is his, his voice, his voice coming through the words. Say one word and I'll stay. Stay. Are there any questions?